It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, NFC Preview Edition. I'm your host, Ian Hart. It's happy Wednesday. And as always, joining me on this lovely after Wednesday afternoon, I cannot talk. PFF's finest, Kevin Cole. Kevin, we just talked for like an hour and 20 minutes about AFC. We, we have less games this week than any other week of the year, but we're talking longer. And it's a great day to be great. Why the hell not? How's it going? It's going well. Actually, some, some, some breaking news between, between the pod. Uh, not football related. I got a uh, notification from Amazon that uh, tennis ball machine that I ordered is on its way. It's arriving today, so I'm pretty pumped about that. Uh, you want to guess how much this tennis ball machine count, uh, costs? It costs. It's 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 pretty ridiculous. But is go this, ahead. What it's shoots you tennis balls from the other side of the court. Is that what we're talking about here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It spins uh, spins in different directions, oscillating. Twenty four hundred uh, bucks. Twenty close. Eighteen hundred dollars. So yeah, it is, it is a little bit. It's a little bit there. But this is also part of the stay at work from home life. Is like <laughs> I can just hit these tennis courts during the day, and especially the tennis courts must be protected against the pickleball people. That's what that's what we're in it for. So I'm upping my game to make sure I can also defend myself in case a ravenous group of like 60-year-old pickleball zombies start invading the court that I can fight them all off if need be. The pickleball craze is weird. I'm not a, a tennis or racquetball aficionado, but those just seem like objectively better sports to me. I I, I don't know, man. But low, low barrier to entry. You basically you don't yeah. need to know anything to play them, which is like it's a good thing that because it gets people involved. I mean, tennis is not an easy game to play if you don't know how to play it. Um, so it has a very very low bar- barrier to entry. I don't know if I get like people are going to be interested in watching this though. <laughs> I uh, I actually now only buy my lovely uh, wiener dog, PFF Lily. She only gets tennis balls because she won't play with dog toys. I did the bark box thing for a while, and all of a sudden she would just only go after the tennis balls. But if you buy the pet tennis balls, those, for some reason, aren't as strong as the usual ones. So she rips those to shreds in seconds. So now I go to the store and just come back with a bag full of tennis balls. You're not- they're not pressurized. They're not pressurized. I, I, I guess that explains it. So ball is life in PFF's Lily world and in the NFL world. So as always on the NFC edition, we're going to go through each and every team playing a game this week. We'll talk about the Cowboys, Giants, some of those other squads on the buys when they are back in week 10. And with that, let's get started with our 7-0 first place Philadelphia Eagles Thursday night football in Houston favored by 14 points on the road game total of 45 so kevin i saw you tweet a cool little chart you know looking at drop back and designed run efficiency and this is the best offense in the nfl now if you look at passing the ball chiefs and bills have been you know just a little bit better overall or they're at least right there in the same area of the eagles it's been running the ball where they've been able to kind of separate themselves and be 
the most balanced offense in the NFL, you could argue, does that matter in the year 2022? Like, what do you actually think the spread of the Eagles versus the Chiefs and Bills might be on a neutral field? I still feel like that the Chiefs and the Bills will be getting at least three. Yeah, yeah, no, there definitely would be. I mean, the the Bills are even kind of like a step above the Chiefs at this point, so significantly more. I mean, I think it helps the Eagles to show that they can win in different ways. What I thought was interesting about this last week, not great for fantasy maybe purposes going forward, but you got the touchdowns from Jalen Hurts. You're not as worried about the rushing stuff, but two rushing attempts in this game. One scramble, one design run. He'd been averaging 13.3 rushing attempts per game going into this. So that was a big, big difference. In some ways, keeps him healthy. You can win that way. It's helpful. Will he always get three touchdowns a game to uh, – probably not. But it is – it actually got four touchdowns, didn't he? Because he got a touchdown to – got um, another quiz at the end. To uh, well, Pascal. Pascal. Pascal, that's it. My yeah, bad. So don't 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 disrespect Zach like that. <laughs> um, so yeah, you're not always going to get that. But the most funny thing about that is right, you get those four touchdowns, and he still like was fourth, I think, PPR quarterback. So it just shows you like how valuable those rushing yards are that he didn't get. He is still on pace for 192 carries on the season that would shatter Lamar Jackson's single season record of 176. But to your point, like he was when I had the stat and I have it every single week in my quarterback column, like he was up in the 220s for a while, which was just ridiculous. And you don't need to be quite that high. But yeah, low key. It's not like this offense ever fell apart or even came close to that. But from weeks four to six, he was only averaging 199 passing yards per game and he only had two total passing touchdowns. So just good to see that they still have that. And yeah, my God. I mean, two defenders cannot even slow down the artist known as AJB. Overall, still a pretty run-heavy offense. I mean, 27th in pass play rate, non-garbage time situations. But again, just having that ability to threaten defenses downfield, I think has made everything else that much easier. Nobody has a higher pass rate than Jalen Hurts when throwing at least 20 yards downfield. Only Josh Allen and Tua more efficient in terms of yards per attempt. So we get it. Again, in a run-first offense, when you don't have that many attempts to go around, we're going to see duds like Devon Smith just had still awfully difficult to keep out of the top 24 similar to Gabriel Davis we gotta live with the bus because we know a boom usually isn't too far behind so we got Hurts AJB Goddard and again we just talked about Devontae could this be Miles Sanders eruption week one of the wildest stats I found this week Kevin the Texans have allowed the week's overall RB1 or the overall RB2 in five of seven games this year. Taylor was the RB2 in week one. Herbert and Eckler had overall RB1 finishes in weeks three and four. Jacobs and Derrick Henry over these past two weeks have been the overall RB2. So I know I tweeted out and, you know, 10 million of you made the original joke that, oh, this is a Jalen Hurts tweet. I get it. Jalen Hurts is going to be involved as well. But, man, Miles Sanders, last week for them to just get up in a way with that win, passing the ball, he only he only needed nine carries. Before that, though, he was one of only four running backs with at least 15 touches every game. I get it. I don't think he's going to be someone with this three-down roll that we're putting in the top 10 anytime soon. But he's an upside RB, too. And this is the definition of a smash spot. I, I'm going to be answering the heavy majority of star sick questions with Miles Sanders with Miles Sanders. Yeah, I mean, the only downsides for him is volume outside of the Jacksonville monsoonish sort of game. He's never been above 18 carries. 18 carries is not bad. Uh, he's never been above three targets in any particular game. So the touchdowns have been helpful for him. You know, that was obviously the like a, a meme, basically, that he couldn't score a touchdown before. He's been able to have those. I think that's 
probably how you get home in this one. You hope that they continue to lean against Hertz running the ball, especially in those goal line situations. And if you can get two touchdowns for Miles Sanders, then all of a sudden two touchdowns, you could probably set uh, maybe a seasonal high outside of that monsoon game again, get up to 20-something carries. Eh, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good day's work for a fantasy running back. One fun matchup to watch. Again, I don't think it impacts the fantasy standing, but I am expecting number three overall pick Derek Stingley Jr. to be tracking A.J. Brown all over the field. He shadowed three times this year and at least made the guys work for it. Now they had some big performances. Cortland Sutton, 122 yards. It took 11 targets to get there. Mike Williams, 120 yards. It did take 11 targets. Devontae Adams, 95 yards and at nine targets. So maybe Brown, you know, he's not going to score three touchdowns every week. Probably not. I don't want to put it past the guy. He is awfully good at football. Uh, We'll see if Stingley can continue to grow and be a rare bright spot in an otherwise dreadful Texans organization. Six and two Cowboys and Giants on the bye, taking us to the four and four Commanders. It's just Terry McLaurin's world, and we all live in it. The man has caught passes since entering the league from Carson Wentz, Taylor Heineke, Alex Smith, Dwayne Haskins, Colt McCoy, Case Keenum, Kyle Allen. If your ears aren't bleeding yet, we also had Garrett Gilbert in there. No, I didn't forget Ryan Fitzpatrick. The man got hurt before he could throw McLaurin a pass. One of the biggest tragedies of the past decade, bar none. So over the past two weeks, he's been shadowed by Jair Alexander, Stefan Gilmore. It just didn't matter. Now, Kevin, some of this has been helped with Jahan Dotson being out of the picture with the hamstring injury. It's condensed things down a little bit. But hey, he's also not practicing again this week. So... I don't think Heineke has been incredible by any stretch over his last two weeks. I think he said some timely throws down the stretch. And, you know, when quarterbacks win, we tend to make excuses for their shortcomings. And that's the name of the game. So I'm not even saying that's a bad thing. But has your overall opinion of this offense, specifically the passing game, really changed over these past two weeks? I still feel like this is a low floor. But to Terry's credit, he's been making the most out of the situation so far. Yeah, I think it is a lower floor type of situation. He had the big catch at the end on that last drive, which helped pump things up a little bit there. But it is clear at the same point in time that he has something going on with Taylor Heineke. Yeah. And Heineke has been not great, honestly, like how well he's played, but they've scraped out two victories and that'll get you a bunch of rope going forward. I don't see there's a reason really to turn back to Wentz when he, when he is healthy, if they continue to play the way they're playing, especially with a coach who probably is number one on the rankings for most likely to be fired this off season, the way things are going. It's just really weird to me though, how you can have like Heineke and maybe even the PJ Walker thing with DJ Moore. It's strange how you can have these quarterbacks come in where you're not, you know, pounding the table that these guys are a better quarterback. They're not the other quarterbacks. You're not even necessarily saying they're allergic to throwing the ball downfield maybe would be an issue in some of these circumstances. But yet uh, these guys just get unlocked somewhat, depending upon how that relationship works with the quarterback. And it's we had evidence of both these guys playing before. This wasn't like it came out yeah. of absolutely nowhere. I mean, Terry was with Heineke the entirety of last season. And guess what? We saw a wide receiver three that we really thought was playing at a wide receiver two, wide receiver one level. Just couldn't happen. So has been a little bit of a downgrade for Curtis Samuel. That said, they've gone out of their way and gotten him nine rush attempts over the past two weeks. So on his career, Curtis is at 6.4 yards per attempt on 93 career carries. The guy is good at football. So 
He's still getting, again, over these past two weeks, 13 and then eight combined carries and targets. So he's keeping himself in that wide receiver three conversation with a bit of that rushing floor. Funny how we were spending all offseason trying to find the next Debo Samuel. And so far, the closest thing to that has been the guy with the same last name. This week, facing off the Vikings at home. Vikings are three and a half point favorites. Game total of 43 and a half. Talked about Terry. He's deserving a top 20 treatment this week, especially with all the buys going on. The backfield is where things get interesting. Antonio Gibson was seemingly on the trade block, but he was not shipped out. Brian Robinson, as we always say, fantastic story, but not fantastic usage. And last week we did see Gibson come in, get the start, and honestly just keep playing better than Brian Robinson. Now, J.D. McKissick still led the backfield in snaps, as he is at risk to do every single week when this team gets behind. However, McKissick did start the week off with a DMP due to a neck injury. If we lose McKissick, man, Gibson all of a sudden is going to be the guy in that RB2 conversation. Again, he was already squeezing things with Brian Robinson. He's been the clear better receiving back, honestly, on the team. That has been the big surprise from Gibson this entire season, just how special he's been as a receiver. And I don't think it's been fluky, man. Ever since week one, they've been using him downfield, creating mismatches, and he's been looking like a guy that played a lot of wide receiver in college. Crazy concept to start throwing him the football. Number three among 38 qualified backs and yards per out run. Number two in PFF receiving grade behind only Christian McCaffrey. And again, it hasn't felt fluky watching them. A healthy Antonio Gibson is a weapon in the open field. If J.D. McKissick is ultimately ruled out, Kevin, looking at my ranks right now and my running backs, I'm looking at that, you know, Raheem Mostert, Miles Sanders. I have them RB14, RB15. That's about the spot that I'd probably be wanting to put Gibson in ahead of guys like Deontay Foreman, like Devin Singletary, and potentially even, you know, Dave Montgomery's of the world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's right where he falls in. Again, though, when we're talking about running backs, you're not exactly getting – that excited about someone who's scraping inside the top 20 but we're still two it, injuries away unfortunately yeah, yeah it's one of those things where i know you said this was an interesting backfield it just it seems kind of frustrating to me they seem to like brian uh robinson he doesn't seem to have a whole lot of juice it seems like they've Which just makes sense the guy got shot freaking two months ago but we're gonna yeah but even it. on top of that i'm not sure he ever had it just seemed like they were really not into antonio gibson at all but gibson is proven that he's going to be the most explosive guy that they possibly have there. So it'll be interesting to see what sort of role he can finally go forward. You know, he had 258 carries last year, 170 of the year before. So it's not like he can't take on that sort of workload. That's what we're hoping for here. He's probably the only guy that you should be interested though. First place Vikings in the NFC North, six and one. But uh, shout out to the friends at Pro Football Reference. So when you look at a team's page, you know, they have their record and then they have their expected record based on their actual points scored. And this is the expected, you know, point differential of a four and three team. And you start digging through the schedule a little bit. Again, you are what your record says you are, as the great Bo Parcells uh, once said. But you look at it. Beat down Green Bay in week one. That's fantastic. Since then, four-point win over the Lions. Got blown out by the Eagles. Three-point win over the Saints. Seven-point win over the Bears. Eight-point win over the non-Tua Dolphins. And eight-point win over the Cardinals. Historically, we do see you know the one-score type games not necessarily be the most stable factor. Now you can say that's more of a year-over-year thing, and it's not necessarily going to bite the Vikings this season. But it's weird that they're 6-1. and one, And at the same time, on one hand, Kevin – I don't think they look like a six and one team, but on the other hand, 
they're six and one. I don't think they've reached their full potential on offense. I mean, Justin Jefferson hasn't even scored a touchdown since week one. Adam Thielen, still healthy, had a scare last week. You know, he did come back to the game. He's presumably fine. Dalvin Cook actually playing some of the best football of his career, career high mark and missed tackles for us per carry. And he's got his second best marks ever in yards per carry and yards after contact per attempt. So where do you see this Vikings team going from here? Do you think this is a sign that, yeah, they could actually have room to grow and get even better and they are a legit contender? Or is this a team that probably shouldn't be 6-1 and one, and as much as they might have room to grow, they also are a team that maybe won't grow and then maybe we'll start seeing that record get a little more aligned to what the point differential is telling us? I mean, I think in a very strange way, they're probably likely to get a little bit better with their passing efficiency at least. And they're likely to not be as successful. They're not going to go six and one in their next seven games at the same time. So they're going to like get better and, and have worse results, but that's okay for them on the results side. And especially the fantasy football side, we really don't care necessarily about the win loss sort of records, but even from a Vikings perspective in the NFC with the Packers falling apart, multiple games ahead. Plus they beat them the first time that they played the Packers. They are in this range where they have, you know, a 90, 95% chance to make the playoffs. And once you're in the playoffs, anything can happen. I think they have a lot of good pieces going forward. TJ Hawkinson being added to the mix here with Irv Smith out for the next eight to 10 weeks. So I think this team can be better offensively, can be more fruitful from a fantasy football perspective and not necessarily win games, but from their perspective, they're so close to getting into the playoffs already that it's not a big deal if they go 500 the rest of the way. And hey, depending on what happens with the Eagles, obviously they're in quite a bit tougher division and their upcoming schedule is certainly more manageable uh, than most out there. But Vikings certainly seem to have a pretty good shot at getting that first round by coming out of the NFC. And then he only got to win two games to get in the Super Bowl. Weirder things well, I mean, have the Eagles, happened. The Eagles are going to be the problem with the bye. So the Eagles are going to be a little bit problem, but they're definitely in position to get the the division again they go five and five the rest of the season they have 11 wins they're 11 and six and they're like guaranteed to get into playoffs pretty easy path for them this week i have tj hawkinson as my tight end nine i would be starting higby everett even Taysom hill kyle pitts Ertz, goddard andrews kelsey ahead of uh, hawkinson that sound about right to you kevin yeah, sounds about right. Sounds about right. Um, I like this trade though from the Vikings perspective. I had like this is, again. This is like a uh, maybe real football versus fantasy football sort of talk. But I think what's interesting about these in season trades is often teams overpay out of desperation sometimes. But also we know a lot more now than we knew in the past. And the Vikings know, hey, we're six and one, and we're going to make the playoffs. So, and we know that Irv Smith is going to be out for some time. So why not push some chips in right now? Uh, knowing that you're pretty much going to be in the playoffs. Let's try to get the highest possible outcome because the NFC stinks. So (laughs) if you could get past this Eagles team, which is maybe not fully proven, you could be in the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, I mean, they were trying to make it work a little bit with Johnny Munt, but this is a guy that had 10 catches in five years with the Rams before coming to Minnesota. He has 12 this year, but like that's why I couldn't stop screaming about Irv Smith being the late-round tight end of 2022. Of course, those damn injury gods had to go tell me to F right off, but there is always next year for us Irv Smith faithful. Third place, I'm sorry, second place, Green Bay Packers sitting there at three and five. Should be third place. I was about to say, man. (laughs) uh, We'll find out this week because they are facing off again against the obviously one and six lions in Detroit, green Bay still getting a slight benefit of Dow from Ozmakers three and a half point favorites game total about 49 and a half. So it's weird, man. They were never 
really competitive in that Bills Sunday night game. But I thought there were some flashes out there. Romeo Dobbs actually was making several great contested catches downfield. We had Rodgers, I don't know, breaking the pocket and actually having one of those playground, you know, plays where he throws a 40-yard seed to Samari Torrey, whoever that was in the end zone. Like, haven't seen Rodgers make a play like that in quite some time. Aaron Jones kept on, you know, keeping on as really one of the more efficient rushers in all of football this year. So, Again, impossible situation. They did cover, and I thought we finally saw a few flashes from an offense that was working, you know, behind the eight ball with Alan Lazard, uh, amongst other guys injured in that one. So was that the start of something more, Kevin? I don't know. Again, it's been eight weeks here. This Packers offense has looked far more bad than good. Similar to the, similar to the Buccaneers, though, I just have a really hard time expecting Rodgers and company not to at least figure things out a little bit more as we get into November and December. Yeah, I mean, but even if they figure things out a little bit more, I'm not really confident in anyone other than maybe Aaron Jones. I mean, in this game, down early, down big, Bills probably had like a 90, 95% win probability at worst the entire second half, and we had 30 pass attempts from Aaron Rodgers in this game. They were about 12% under expectation based upon, again, feeding in that they should have been closer to a 75% passing team in this game they didn't do it so as excited as you want to get about Dobbs or others you know is there going to be enough volume to go around Sammy Watkins legitimately (laughs) needs to be like you'd put him down if he was a horse I'm sorry like that's the type of thing maybe I should have said that but that's the type of thing when you looked at him running around out there on the field um so Aaron Rodgers you don't want to play him I mean it's just basically Aaron Jones and no one else right now Matt LaFleur did say he expects Alan Lazard to come back to practice, but yeah, Watkins, uh, he, he hasn't looked good out there. Let's just leave it at that. Uh, this season, they have continued to go back more and more to the Aaron Jones well, and for good reasons. I mean, 5.9 yards per carry versus 4.1 for A.J. Dillon. 0.4 missed tackles forced per carry for Aaron Jones this year. Again, Javante Williams took over, you know, analytic and fantasy Twitter. I think he was at 0.31, 0.33 last season. Jones truly has been so slippery each and every week. Been an awesome season from him more and more receptions should be on the way so yeah Aaron Jones really the only guy you can feel super good about because of all the bye weeks I think Lazard and Dawes will still be in that wide receiver three conversation especially because this is a good matchup here against the Lions defense that again we have seen get flamed time and time again we could see Okuda potentially you know put his interest on Dobbs but I don't know the Bills actually they decided to shadow Sammy Watkins with Dane Jackson so it's one of those things where I think sometimes teams pay a little more uh, attention to the reputation of guys so perhaps Dobbs actually is the one with the better matchup against Amani Aruwarie but to Kevin's previous point the volume is really going to be more of the driving factor anyway so mostly can only trust Aaron Jones I know it's been frustrating with AJ Dillon just realize guys if you can hold on to him really try because God forbid something happens to Jones Dillon will immediately be in that top 15 conversation himself Third place, three and five Chicago Bears this week. They are facing off against the Dolphins at home. Miami favored by five points, game total at 45 and a half. So Justin Fields, weeks one through four, doesn't finish better in fantasy than as a QB 23. Over these past four weeks, though, QB 12, QB 9, QB 5, and QB 5. Over the last two weeks specifically, no quarterback has more design runs than Justin Fields. And we got some help, Kevin. We got Justin Fields some help. It took until freaking November for anyone to apparently think that this was a reasonable thing to do for the quarterback that you traded all those picks to go up and get in the first place. But 
Better late than never, I guess. I've been asking for it all season, and now they have traded a second-round pick for Chase Claypool, who, again, I think gets more shit than, like, any decent human being in the NFL. I mean, truly, if you want to go find some people to slander, they are out there. I don't know why Chase Claypool, again, celebrating a first down at an inopportune time and then calling himself a top-three receiver, deserves this level of hate. I tend to look at him, Kevin, as someone that scored 13 touchdowns in 17 games as a rookie, and that seems like something that's probably pretty hard for an average player to pull off. Overall thoughts on the Chase Claypool trade, and yes, they probably did overpay, but it is better now than throwing the ball to you know Byron Pringle, Belis Jones, whoever the hell else we have, whoever the hell else we have out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're still not going to throw the ball much, even without him out there. But he does have another option. I don't know. The fit with Fields, who seems to be a, a reticent, let's say, to throw it to someone who doesn't have separation might be a little bit interesting with Claypool. Although Claypool like profiles is a bigger contested catch guy, but he's also never really been that sort of guy. It'll be interesting, at least. Obviously, Poles, I think, again, is uh, letting the circumstances dictate strategy here. Fields is starting to look like he could be something. So they said, OK, let's flip out Roquan Smith and flip in. Uh, chase Claypool and get a little bit better evaluation of fields. What I think was interesting from fields is, you know, he took a few sacks as he always does. Um, but I thought it could have got really ugly against that yeah. Dallas front and it didn't. So he was able to move around and do pretty well there. And his rushing attempts were not like, it wasn't a spike week. Like it was against the Patriots as far as design runs, but he did have, you know, he did scramble 10% of the time, which gave him the overall volume. I'd still like to see that design runs get up there a little bit higher, but maybe it wasn't the right circumstances in a game where you were trailing big time, uh, at least to end the game. So I'm not getting too overboard with saying Fields is going to be this runner, 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 because we still have seen basically one week when it comes to design runs of there really being a spike week. He has gotten a little bit unlucky out there. I know penalties happen for a reason, but he did have another 40-yard read option taken off the board, obviously, a couple of weeks ago. That awesome touchdown against the Vikings didn't count. But you add it all together, and fantasy points per game only from rushing production. Jalen Hurts is first at the position with 9.5. Lamar Jackson at 8.4. And there is Justin Fields at 7.6. Daniel Jones at 6.8. And Josh Allen, 6.1. Only other quarterbacks racking up at least six fantasy points per game just from rushing. So, Final point on Claypool. To me, like I don't feel good about playing Claypool. We couldn't even feel good about playing Darnell Mooney. Like This is how bad the volume is in Chicago this year. Darnell Mooney, clear-cut, number one pass game option. No doubt about it. He has 44 targets. Now I'll go over and look at the Steelers. Deontay Johnson, 76 targets. Chase Claypool, 50. Pat Fryer with 48. George Pickens, 43. If Darnell Mooney was on the Steelers, he would be literally two targets away from being their number five pass game option. So yes, Chase Claypool is going from being, you know, I understand he had more targets than pick-ins, but okay, fine. Say he was the number three in Pittsburgh. Now he's the number two in Chicago. You could argue that you actually are better off being the number three in a more pass-happy offense, and unfortunately, that's the case. So Still in this offense, Justin Fields, really the only guy we're feeling great about because Herbert and Montgomery are going to continue to split things as well. The Bears are doing a good job of just force-feeding Herbert the ball when he's out there, but it's just a really thin line kind of game we're trying to play here. And an offense, I think, has been overachieving just a little bit in terms of their points. So, again, last week, Herbert, 16 carries on just 22 snaps. So Montgomery's not going anywhere. Herbert is going to continue to make the most out of his usage. But yeah, tough to get really either guy in the top 20 as long as things stay as they are. 
You got the um, the Lions coming up in two weeks. So there's the Lions week. The Lions we week, go. you never know what can happen. Always have Lions week. Speaking of restoring the roar, you're one in six Detroit Lions this week facing off against the Packers at home. Three and a half point favorites the Packers are with a game total of 49 and a half. So DeAndre Swift not practicing. Uh, Dan Campbell came out yesterday and said, we quote unquote, we probably gave Swift one too many carries. He's not back. So maybe give another one of those carries to Jamal. Huh? This dude practiced in full all week. He didn't have an injury designation. Like, he only gave him five carries anyway. I agree with the sentiment that he did not look all the way back. And I just, again, Kevin, it's one of these things where all the coach of the year hype, all this, all that. And the concern was always like, why are we giving him all this hype? Is this really because he's this mastermind or because we love the roster? Or is it because he talks about biting kneecaps and says a lot of edgy things in, on hard knocks that people – get hyped up about now the offense. This was the number one ranked scoring offense in the first five weeks of the year before they got some injuries and stuff going on. The problem is we've seen what happens when those injuries happen. I mean, this group scored six points in eight quarters last week. They rip off three touchdowns on their first three drives of the game. And then they did basically nothing else for the next 45 minutes out there. So Hawkinson's now out of the picture. It looks like DeAndre Swift will be out of the picture. And that only leaves a Monroe St. Brown with Josh Reynolds and Khalif Raymond, who, God bless them all for making the most out of the situation. I still think the Sun God is going to be a volume-induced PPR wide receiver one more weeks than not, but it's really expecting anybody else in the rest of this offense to step it up. So overall thoughts on Dan Campbell and company, again, going from someone that was maybe not the favorite to be coach of the year, but awfully, you know, you know, a pretty trendy pick by everyone. And now I haven't seen the first coach to get fired rankings, but I'm guessing he's, uh, he's got at least cracking the top 10. Yeah, he probably is. I mean, I'm not sure if it's necessarily his fault. Obviously, the Restore the Roar crowd got a little bit ahead of itself thinking of, you know, what are the odds on the the Lions to win the to win the division and that sort of stuff to start the season. They were seen by the desert, you know, prognosticators as being a bottom five team in the NFL. And I don't think they're necessarily that bad. Just the defense has been so, so, so bad. I think if you're a Lions fan, though, there's probably something to look forward to Hawkinson, you know, they decided to let him go, but you got an extra pick in that in that trade. You're going to have the first or second pick probably in the NFL draft, maybe at worst the third pick. So they're going to be bringing in a quarterback into an offense that's going to look pretty good uh, outside of that with a lot of young pieces and a built-up offensive line. They just need to get the defense fixed up here. So, again, you're looking forward to 2023. As much as I like some of the passion that Dan Campbell has, and he seems like a good dude – I think they have a good opportunity to make a shift in the coaching staff for 2023, along with this new quarterback coming in and really try to take a jump forward where they could be a, they could actually be a sneaky team in 2023 to win the division. If they get everything right. I know, I know part of the restore the roar crowd was looking at the second half schedule and we can take a look at that. I just think some of the layups that were being associated with this group, I think specifically against the giants and the Jaguars and even the Panthers, honestly, and the Jets as well. These were teams that were assumed to be far worse than what we've actually seen out there. All these teams have been better than the Lions this year. And that's in terms of wins and loss. And I think just overall competitive nature. So Rest of the season, the Lions face the Packers in Chicago at the Giants, Bills, Jaguars, Vikings at the Jets, at the Panthers, and they get the Bears and Packers to end it. So 
not impossible for them to maybe claw their way to five wins by the end of it. They have been in a lot of close games. But again, when you're now taking away pieces of the offense, I don't know why the defense would be getting better, that much better at this point. Again, we've seen more than enough evidence that suggests otherwise. Just not quite the year for Detroit Lions faithful. If DeAndre Swift, by the way, is going to be missing this game, yeah, Jamal Williams will get a little bit of a bump. The problem is his usage really hasn't changed that much without DeAndre Swift. They bring Craig Reynolds and Justin Jackson just way more into the picture, leaving Jamal Williams as someone that is going to get 15 to 20 combined carries and targets. And if you get to the goal line a couple times, yeah, he's going to keep flirting with scoring a lot of touchdowns. I believe only Nick Chubb has more rushing touchdowns than Jamal Williams this year. Just realize, you know, he spent a lot of the first half of the season working inside of a top five scoring offense. I'm not exactly anticipating that to continue given the lack of resources now on that side of the ball. All right, guys, before we get to the NFC South, we'll give a quick shout out to a few of our lovely sponsors out there. First up, got to go ahead and say some nice words about our friends over at DraftKings. You can make every play feel exciting with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, and their unbeatable offers. Right now, new customers can make any $5 NFL bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Check this out. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped up same game parlays. And to make things even sweeter, you can throw them down on you can throw down on stepped up same game parlays once per game day all season long. Download DraftKings Sportsbook app now. You and use promo code PFF to get two hundred dollars in free bets if your team wins. Just place a five dollar bet on any football game only at DraftKings Sportsbook using code PFF. Also love our friends over at Western Southern Financial Group. The PFF Fantasy Football Podcast is sponsored by Western Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, plan to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Yes, all those things. I don't know. I spend my entire life on fantasy freaking football instead of this important shit. Well, guess what? Western Southern is here to help me and all you as well. Playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you Rest assured on game day and focus more on less important things because that's just fun in life, man. Who wants to be all serious all the time? Western Southern has you covered with that. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Kevin, I have reason to believe there's some breaking news out there. Yeah, breaking news here. Uh, Breaking news. uh, GM of the Giants, Joe Shane, said Odell Beckham Jr. is quote-unquote a guy we would consider. Oh, whoa. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know what you want to do with that, but he's he's made it to consideration. It would be funny to be like, no, fuck that guy. <laughs> what is he going to say? Like, what exactly is he going to say? Here? These aggregators are like out of control here. Sorry, that's the best I could find here. Uh, Sean McVay, according to Albert Breer, will likely retire once the core of Cooper Cup, Aaron Donald, Matthew Stafford, and Jalen Ramsey are all reaching retirement. How long could that be? Like, I don't know. <laughs> Five more Ramsey's years? not that old. Ramsey's <laughs> not that old. I thought, I mean, uh, Donald already wanted to retire. So I don't know what the hell that even means. They're not yeah, like these guys are the same age. All those guys could play another five years or like if they want to. Yeah. Yeah. I don't <laughs> We're we're struggling. We're struggling for breaking news here. Okay, uh, that's that's all I got. I though, say, uh, Odell Beckham. If you want to just change that to Odell Beckham back to New York, uh, he's confirmed. stealing. He's stealing Kadarius Tony's uh, back tattoo, and he's getting it pr- printed back on his on his back. He's back. 
It is pretty wild. The OB- I mean, I, I get it. It's OBJ. That dude's going to get, you know, cameras and just media covering his every move, no matter what he does out there. But like the fact that he's gotten so much more attention than legit free agents out there, like Will Fuller, who I think I saw that, you know, internet goof going on, people trying to say he retired, still couldn't quite confirm if that was real or not. I hope it's not. I'm still holding out hope. But man, the guy, OBJ, tore his ACL in February. Who knows if he's even able to play football right now, you know, hopefully recovering as well as possible. But let's face it, even with the Rams, man, like, yeah, I love the touchdowns. He certainly showed he wasn't washed, but acting like the dude is just going to change everything. I'm happy OBJ has gotten to go out there, basically take another college recruiting tour. Seems to be having a great time. Super Bowl champion OBJ, of course. Yeah, I think Um, that's a lot of it. I think that's a lot of the media interest is the fact that, he came to a team and they won the Super Bowl last year. NFC South, first place. That's right. Your first place, Atlanta Falcons at four and four. Yell all you want about the Kyle Pitts and Drake London usage. Arthur Smith is enabling a top 10 offense, whether we like it or not. Points we don't like game. it, just so you know. Points per game, <laughs> six with 25. Now that's a little bit influenced by the defense, special teams making some plays. But EPA per play on offense, they are seventh in the league. They had the ninth highest scoring drive rate even just 14th in yards per play, despite Kevin being the most run-heavy offense since Rex Ryan's 2009 New York Jets. I don't necessarily expect this to continue. I don't know why Pitts and London were legit not even getting on the field enough in some of these earlier stages of the season. So run play rate, all that aside, hey, man, if you just would have told any Falcons fan or any fan of the NFL that this was going to be a top 10 offense based on these resources, I think we could all agree that Arthur Smith was doing a pretty damn good job. And here they are, first place. Arthur Smith is doing a pretty damn good job. I guess. Come on. Come on. <laughs> I mean, listen, this is why I, mean, I mentioned this. Like Kyle Pitts, Drake London, you know, can we, can we play? I know you're winning games, like bad games, but I, I don't know, man. You look at this team. So Ben Baldwin puts together looking at the market-derived numbers for how good teams are based upon this week's spread and the look-ahead. So the Atlanta Falcons come out to the seventh lowest uh, team here below the according to the numbers the Titans I'm kind of surprised the Titans are this low I think it's because they have that astronomical number against the Kansas City Chiefs so the Titans the Jets the Broncos the Commanders the Colts the Jaguars the Browns the Seahawks all above all above this team Jesus. right here so just a little perspective on like how good this team actually is they are actually three and a half point dogs at home against the Chargers this week. Game total at 49 and a half. So, yeah, it's one of those things where want to give him some respect for what they've done. Now, do you expect that to continue the second half of the season? Not exactly. Hopefully, though, we do get our one true King Cordero Patterson back in action. He has had his 21-day window off the IR activated and seems to have a decent chance at getting out there. And by decent chance, I mean he's tweeted out some videos over the past few weeks of him running, looking healthy. And at a minimum, it wasn't this knee injury. I mean, he played through it in week freaking four before being put on the IR in the first place. So I am tentatively optimistic that CPAP's going to be back in the lineup. And all he did before the injury was post-PPR rb5 and rb6 finishes yeah he had an rb52 in there but come on president of the quarter of patterson fan club we just gotta stick to the good stuff right here Chargers 31st and ppr points per game allowed to opposing rbs now 
the one issue here, and we don't give enough credit to players that play through the pain. I think Jonathan Taylor is a good example of that this year. We just we realize it when it happens, and then they play badly through the pain for four weeks, and then we forget they're playing through the pain. We just say they suck. Patterson did struggle to play through the pain last season. We have seen Tyler Algier and even Caleb Huntley be able to keep this offense on track. Kevin, do you think we're going to see Patterson have enough volume to be this top 15 running back, or is this going to be a really annoying committee and Arthur Smith is going to still inexplicably have an offense that has really good metrics, and then all of a sudden we look at it from a fantasy perspective and we don't feel good about anybody involved? Yeah, I think unfortunately it probably is going to be a committee, and it just makes sense from a lot of levels. You know, the other they've run well. Um, they're younger guys that they can get in there. Yeah, and he, you know, he has to make sure we don't get any weeks of like RB one, wide receiver one, um, very few weeks of tight end one. I guess you can get like a top twelve, and the tight end is not that bad. Yeah, we got to make sure Drake London stays at wide receiver forty on the season. <laughs> Pitts at tight at 18, and then all of the running backs stay out of the top 20. That's that's his goal this season. He wants to own as many nerds and fantasy football players as possible. That's worth more than wins. He's getting the wins too, though. So he's 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 got it from both ends. I have to congratulate. I have to give you got I got to hand it to him there. London and Pitts look so good out there too. That's the thing. They had a play uh, last week where uh, Pitts was like the motion guy, and they just they said he was a checkdown option on the play, and Mariota got it to him, and you just saw. I think he broke it for like thirty plus yards, and just that dude moving in the open field is freaking terrifying. And we started to see those flashes down the stretch of last season. Hopefully, more are on the way. Drake London route running just seems fantastic for a guy his size. Maybe, just maybe, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, they're probably outplaying a chance to get those guys on the squad for next year. A man could imagine, though. With CPAT, yeah, first three weeks of the year, snap rates were at 65%, 59%, and 61%. And didn't get much pass game usage because nobody gets much pass game usage in Atlanta. So I do think CPAT probably going to be more of a low-end RB2, even once we know he's for sure going to have his usual allotment of snaps. I will be answering most start sit questions with Patterson, sadly, with the other guy until we are for sure that he's going to be able to get back to a featured role. Second place, three and five, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're home against the Rams this week. Tampa three-point favorites, game total of 42 and a half. So Tom Brady and the Buccaneers have scored more than 22 points in one game this season. He has one game with more than two with two-plus passing touchdowns. This is ridiculous, man. One out of eight games with two-plus passing touchdowns. In 2020, he was 17 for 20 with that. 2021, he was 13 for 19. Now, two weeks ago, Mike Evans was the one, you know, dropping the long bomb. Last week, Brady missed Evans for a touchdown. They had another one, I think, to Rudolph nullified. He missed Kate Otten. I mean, Kurt Herbstreit brought up the point, I think, after he missed Kate Otten on the potential touchdown, that the timing has just been off, and we can make jokes about the divorce being the root of the timing being off, the new people not having Gronk. Whatever it is, man, this has now been eight straight weeks of this Buccaneers offense looking bad. Last week I asked you just what the kind of concern was, one through ten, and we were both rightfully more concerned about the Packers and Rams than the Buccaneers. But how many more weeks can we just sit here, Kevin, and say, oh, yeah, they'll figure it out here next week because we're starting to run out of weeks. Yeah, maybe another week or two. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still somewhat positive. And the thing that's annoying me about this team is I'm not commenting anymore on this like backfield split or the potential for Rashad White to do something because every other week I'm like, hey, Rashad White is getting his own series. And then they just ignore him the next (laughs) week. So it's like you, you can only fool me once. 
I'm doing the the George Bush version. Fool me once, you <laughs> won't fool me again. again. You won't fool me again, or whatever it was on there. So, uh, fool can't be fooled. Um, so yeah, there's that. I don't know. I feel like Godwin's still got a round into form a little bit. Julio Jones is a mess out there as far as whether he's going to stay healthy or not and what's going to happen there. He's a little bit off when it comes to Kate Otten and others. I don't think he's played that poorly, though, Brady. He's been off, but I don't think his like arm strength is god-awful or anything like that. Maybe his movement and dealing with interior pressure is not that good, but I don't know if it's ever been that good. So I don't know. I still have some hope for them. I'll tick them down a little bit. But again, what we saw for the Rams, what we saw for the for the Packers, like you can tick them down even more. Each week I get more pessimistic on them than I even get on the Bucks. Obviously losing center Ryan Jensen back before the season started, not helping with that interior pressure. And yeah, I mean, look, they had they brought in Gage and Julio to help replace Antonio Brown. And honestly, those guys just really haven't been healthy for pretty much any part of the season. And we didn't expect them to be as good as what AB was last year. So Julio did get out there, play almost 60% of the snaps last week. Hopefully that's even more of a full-time role. Can we expect him to stay healthy more than a game or two? Probably not, but if you are daring, I do think Julio, reasonable enough, wide receiver four, wide receiver five, boomer bust type. Goodness is Mike Evans and Chris Goblin, full-time roles, continue to get them in the starting lineups of all shapes and sizes. And yeah, the Rashad White thing, I see Rashad White, like he passes the eye test just fine, but this isn't Montgomery versus Herbert or Zeke versus Pollard where the backup is just completely outperforming the starter on a per-carry basis. I mean, Fournette is the one averaging 3.5 yards per carry to Rashad White's three yards per carry. The yards after contact are in Fournette's favor as well. Again, I agree. Based on the eye test, having watched all these games, Rashad White looks like the more explosive player, but there's a reason why when you would ask Byron Leftwich about Fournette in the offseason and stuff, he talked about just kind of the mind mode and the chemistry that Fournette and Brady have I think we are seeing that while they're pleased with Rashad White there's a difference between getting them out there for a couple series and completely taking the artist known as Lombardi Lenny off the field third place New Orleans Saints sitting there at three and five Monday night football this week home against the Ravens Ravens favored by two and a half so yeah caught you on the last episode Kevin but move over Joe Mixon there's a new king in expected PPR points per game his name is Alvin Kamara he only caught five total passes in two games with Jameis Winston he since caught six six seven and nine looking awfully good while doing it now having Michael Thomas Jarvis Landry not you know being around those underneath intermediate air of the fields have obviously helped both Kamara and Chris Alave keeping on, keeping on, as I believe still a top 12 receiver in terms of total receiving yards this season. So with all this going, man, Andy Dalton is out there doing his thing. Not spectacular, but still able to lead these Saints where you look up after eight weeks and they're the eighth-ranked scoring offense. So what do you think about this Saints team who they're just three and five? Again, I don't think they've had that high of highs this year, but coming off a beatdown against the Raiders, is this team dead, or do you think they could get a little bit feisty? Because as bad as the defense has been, the offense has been surprisingly good. No, I think they are lucky to be positioned in the NFC South. And as you mentioned, the defense – well, the offense is good, has been good with Dalton. I think they can expect a reasonably decent floor probably with him playing there. He gets the ball to Alvin Kamara, so he's smart, smart dude there. <laughs> Um, and that helps us fantasy-wise to have a really great option. Olave, I think, is still going to be a productive guy. He's he's looking like – I don't know if he's the best rookie wide receiver because I think Drake London could have been competing for that, but he almost gets an incomplete because they refuse to throw the ball there. So Olave is going to take that title this year most likely with Garrett Wilson functioning in a little bit if they can get something going there. And 
Defensively, they haven't been as good against the pass, actually, as they have been in the past. So if they can get that corrected, they've been good against the run. Uh, I think they can be a, a force going forward. And again, this NFC South, you know, who knows? Who knows what will end up happening? And especially if they can rub some of their magic off when they're at, when they're going against the Bucs, they always seem to beat them. Um, they could be in good position here. Secondary has been banged up, specifically Marshawn Lattimore missing games with that abdomen injury, but might not be the biggest issue this week. Again, facing that Ravens offense, dealing with Rashad Bateman and Mark Andrews banged up in their own right. So the big discussion, I, I just still can't wrap my mind around how to treat Taysom Hill. Do we keep chasing that three-touchdown performance, Kevin? Or is this a situation where when you start looking at Taysom's numbers throughout the year, we have a player that's being called a tight end that we can get around five rush attempts. We're going to get one or two targets and we're going to get about one pass attempt. And no, that's not a lot. That said, once you start doing the rankings, it's like, all right, do I want Taysom Hill over part-time-ish tight ends like a Dawson Knox, like a Robert Tunyon, like an Evan Ingram, Mike Jasicki? How do you value these Taysom Hill touches? Because I go back and forth between thinking the guy's a top six player at the position and someone that should probably be ranked like 15th. Yeah, I think 15th is more like if you're looking at a median outcome sort of thing, but that's not how we want to care about it. We want to really value those upside sort of weeks where you can get multiple touchdowns. There are very few tight ends in the league who probably you could project like their likelihood of getting more than one touchdown in a week is higher than than uh hills despite the fact that he doesn't have that many touches so you're probably satisfied enough to continue to roll with them and it's not off the charts but i think he had 10 carries last week so uh, that's fine mark ingram's also going to miss some time with his knee injury it would add up if they kind of use Taysom hill more so as their rb2 versus getting someone else involved and hey just the fact he's as good as he is with these design carries guys certainly deserves some credit there so when i say Taysom Hill ahead of guys like Gerald Everett, Tyler Higby, TJ Hawkinson. Are you with me or is that going a little overboard? Um, I like I like Everett a little bit this week just because of how thin Injuries they are at, at, at wide receiver. But yeah, no, I, I think I think having him in that mix is perfectly fine. The Taysom Hill experience, everyone. It's a little easier stomach when you actually have him on your team putting up points, better than just when he's vulturing everyone to ever exist. Last place, two and six. Carolina Panthers because Eddie Pinheiro had to be a jackass and not do his one job, but sorry, Eddie. This week, they're in Cincinnati. Bengals, seven and a half point favorites. Game total at 42 and a half. P.J. Walker Hive stand up. League high, 10.8% big time throw rate. This is like the anti-Bailey Zappi, Kevin. He's gone out there and the eye test has been more impressive than the actual, you know, middling statistics. I mean, no other quarterback even higher than 7.5% big time throw rate this year. He looks like the one quarterback in the league that isn't afraid of, you know, these constant too high safety looks. He's happy to throw, uh, you know, in between the in- incoming safety and lagging corner to Terrence Marshall, DJ Moore, whoever. DJ Moore, first six weeks of the season combined, 204 receiving yards and one touchdown. Last two weeks with P.J. Walker, 222 and a pair of scores. Last week could have been even bigger, man. I mean, D.J. Moore popping as one of the top receivers in unrealized air yards despite the big game. Arguably could have had extra 80 and 26-yard touchdowns on his plate if P.J. had perfect throws, which, no, we're not going to get perfect throws every single pass from any quarterback in the NFL. But at a minimum, Kevin, we've seen enough of a ceiling with P.J. Walker combined with no McCaffrey and no Robbie Anderson to take much volume away with DJ Moore. And I'm back, man. Top 20 wide receiver. Let's go. We're here. Yeah, I think top 20. I mean, we're not putting him in the top 12. That's that's for sure. Let's not get too Um, crazy. 
Yeah, it's not getting too crazy. Well, I'm a little bit interested in your opinion really on uh, Deontay Foreman because like he added this true workhorse sort of role in this game. 70% of snaps, 70% of rushing attempts, 55% of routes. I think a lot of targets. Obviously got the touchdowns that everyone was talking about. Absolute explosion. 70, I mean, 30 fantasy, fantasy points in the week, basically. Um but I've seen some people talk about him as a sell high sort of guy. I don't know if I would actually do that. It's weird that in this game where everyone's talking about PJ Walker, as you mentioned, they were still rushing it way over expectation in this particular game. I think they're going to want to continue to lean in that going forward. And I don't know. I mean, do they care enough about Chuba Hubbard to really bring him in and make this a totally muddled backfield once he is healthy? I'm not sure. Latest update from Panthers beat David Newton is that Chuba Hubbard arrived at practice with his helmet and pads, but uh, David still feels like Chuba is in the rehab stage. How quickly the conversation changes, man. Allegedly, Chuba, you know, was just held out as a precaution in the fourth quarter back in week seven. He could have returned if needed. Now he looks like he could be on the verge of missing multiple weeks. So with the Deontay Foreman sell high stuff, I would think the overwhelming majority of fantasy leagues aren't going to treat this guy like he's, you know. Yeah, I just don't know what you're going to get from him, especially when you could start him again this week, probably. Like, why not just, you know, you had your good fortune to have him on your team, ride him out. Never say never. I was, um, I do the injury pod with Nick Bodyford every Friday. And I was looking up news on Darren Waller and some random guy didn't follow me or anything, but he was saying that he was thinking about trading Joe Mixon for Darren Waller chasing the upside. And I just, I saw it twice and I was like, Hey man, you don't know me, but please like, don't make that trade. Just don't do Maybe it. Maybe he's in a, no. 10 points per reception just, tight end tight premium end. league. The dude made the trade though. And I inadvertently like got like 800 likes and this poor dude, I saw it throughout the entire weekend trying to fend off just random people telling him what a terrible trade it was. So sorry about sorry. that, bro. But the, Elon, Elon, can you not, can you make sure Ian isn't out here <laughs> starting targeted harassment campaigns on these poor fantasy football players, <laughs> Elon. Call me. Poor, poor dude sends a harmless tweet on Friday and just <laughs> I, I just ruined his whole weekend for him. So uh, look, if you can flip Deontay Foreman for like a freaking Mike Evans or something, yeah, go ahead and do that. I, I mean, you're really, trying to package him with somebody. Presumably, yeah. like the thought would be you package him with someone else to upgrade at a position. But I don't know, man. I like I, I like just rolling with him for another week. You look at this matchup, the Bengals are the league's third worst defense in terms of yards before contact allowed per carry. And again, with Chuba not expected to come back, like I have Deontay right now as RB18, which still feels a little bit low, but knowing that Chuba probably isn't going to be in there. Yeah, now all of a sudden when you look at, you know, Deontay versus someone like a Miles Sanders, like a Raheem Mostert, even like Damian Pierce, I don't see that big of a difference in the role he's working with versus the one, uh, you know, that yeah, how many times was, was Derek Henry mentioned as a Deontay, <laughs> a Deontay Foreman, like most similar player. So, Hey, 200 yards for Deontay Foreman. You heard it. You heard it here first this week. Great, uh, great story. Being honestly the most successful running back we've seen come back from that Achilles here in recent times. So DJ well, it's good Moore, for my draft takes too. I think I liked them coming out in the draft. So those never die. I'm bringing it back. My running back success model, love Deontay Foreman. So there you go. If Chuba, right, right. Once again, 
If Chuba does play, I would still give Foreman the benefit of doubt. I realize Chuba was playing more snaps in the first three quarters of week seven, but you know, you know, for over 100 yards, three touchdowns. Yeah, yeah. I would I mean, like to think on. that's going to be Chuba Hubbard here. This is Egg. not, he's not, this is not uh, Christian McCaffrey coming back or something. Okay, let's finish things off with the NFC West. Your first place, Seattle Seahawks sitting there at five and three in Arizona this week. Still not really getting the respect from lines makers. Cardinals are favored by two at home. Game total is at a lofty 50 and a half points so just wild to me last week that we saw geno smith still have a pretty good game it could have been even bigger man title lockett marquise goodman both dropped touchdowns lockett had another touchdown where he only got one foot down rarely see that from again one of the best you know toe tap artists in the nfl for quite some time so still the 14th ranked scoring offense and i guess like when I, you know, we got that fantasy receipts account out there just reaching sometimes. Guys, I had a t- horrible one, if you're listening to this, about Rashad Penny and Kenneth Walker, and I was just, you know, all high and mighty. I was like, if you want an early down committee back in a bad scoring offense with a bad offensive line, like you should go draft Rashad Penny or Kenneth Walker. And those assumptions have all been proven wrong, Kevin. This is the fourth-ranked scoring offense, PFF's 13th-ranked offensive line. Shout-out Sam Monson, always putting together those uh, rankings. And, yeah, you take away one of the early down guys, and all of a sudden you have a player and Kenneth Walker getting 20-plus carries each and every week. It is scary to think that if Rashad Penny had been staying healthy, uh, Kenneth Walker could quite possibly be only getting like three or five touches per game because that's what was happening prior to that injury, but we do not have to worry about that for the time being. So I guess, again, this is a top-five scoring offense. Maybe they continue, maybe they don't, but do you think there is anything, Kevin, because I was hardly the only person to not expect the Seahawks to be a good offense this year. I'd venture to say nobody thought they were going to be a good offense this year. Where do you think myself and the rest of really the fantasy industry went wrong in evaluating the Seahawks team? Was it just assuming Gino was going to suck? Because, again, this seems like a pretty big miss opportunity by all of us. Yeah, I don't think people went wrong necessarily. I mean, Geno Smith – Remember, Drew Locke was being talked up as if he was the leader in the offseason to be a great starter. Yeah. Even a couple of weeks into the season, remember uh, <laughs> Pete Carroll couldn't <laughs> shut up about talking about Drew Locke. He was or, on his heels. <laughs> yeah. Like, what the hell is wrong with this guy? Um, yeah. I mean, to, to say that we should have seen Geno Smith being a low-end QB1, they're having a RB1 as part of their offense, and then they're probably having a low-end – wide receiver one high end wide receiver two and Metcalf and then another wide receiver two definitely in Lockett like we should have seen all that coming as if we were plugging into the offense a top quarterback like what Russell Wilson used to do with that offense no um there was no way to to have seen to have seen that coming was it within the range of outcomes and I guess that's how we have to always look at these things is if everything goes right what is within the range of outcomes this probably wasn't this high of a range of outcomes for lots of other more established quarterbacks that we knew a lot about because of how much they had played recently that might be the only thing you can look at and say you know what we really didn't know enough about Gino he wasn't the Jets Gino he was functional last year so we should have seen there was more uncertainty that he could have given this upside but Clearly, we should not have been predicting it to happen. And as much as it might be easy to say, oh, look, the talent won out. Always trust the talent. You know, I don't think weeks one through six, DJ Moore wasn't a talented receiver. We do see offensive environments crater this sometimes. That said, I mean, Tyler Lockett was going like wide receiver 48 by the end of the offseason. Like, I do think there was probably a line that we should have been looking a little bit tougher at if they could be values or well, not. Well, the fact that those guys separated so much, too. And they're yeah. just like every year we want – 
DK Metcalf to be a lot right. better than Tyler Lockett. And it happens sometimes, and Lockett goes through some stretches that can be rough uh, some other times. But generally, they're you know they, they have some sort of magnetism attraction to each other where they seem to score pretty similarly a lot more often than what we think. Metcalf on the week is going to come in as my wide receiver 12. Yeah, I continue to put him two spots ahead of Tyler Lockett because that's just, you know, what we're kind of ingrained you have to do. To. You're legally days. obligated to do that. <laughs> legally obligated. At quarterback, I know Gino as my QB nine this week ahead of guys like Fields, Cousins, Brady, Trevor Lawrence, amongst others. So I guess Kenneth Walker, yeah, get him into lineups of all shapes and sizes. Is he a rookie of the year, though, Kevin? Because that award's going to be, you know, a big topic of national discussion more and more down the road if it's not already. Um, yeah, I guess he could be. I didn't even really been thinking about that recently. I mean, Brees Hall was going to be the leader. He goes down. Olave, I don't know if he's going to be able to get. If the Saints really make that run that we were talking yeah. about, Olave could start getting in the conversation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, Pickett. There's no quarterback that's that's coming close to being to being anything in there. So I think he's got a good shot. He might be the best chance because I think from a team success standpoint, he's most likely to have the most wins for his team. And if you look at playoff probability for these teams is probably most likely to get into the playoffs. Now, which looks like about a coin flip for the Seahawks. Another simulation to be uh, between Sam Howell and Matt Corral, but not this year, unfortunately. Yeah. What could have been? What could have been? Second place, 49ers, four and four on a bye, which takes us to our three and four third place Los Angeles Rams. Kevin, you had a tweet showing the drop back and design run efficiency of every single offense. And if you look at those two things, really, you can argue only the Broncos have been a worse overall group this year. And it just hasn't even, I mean, look, the 2020 Rams, that was when Jared Goff was on his last year there. He was even playing hurt. Like, that was easily the worst Sean McVay group there. They were 22nd in points, 11th in yards. This year, 28th in points, 30th in yards. Just like Denver, it's not that this Rams offense is bad or mediocre. They are horrendous. And, no, we can't bl- put all the blame on McVay or Stafford. This is a 31st-ranked offensive line. But those guys certainly aren't helping it. And the counting numbers just aren't even there, man. Last year, Matthew Stafford, 41 touchdowns. So it didn't matter that he threw a league-high 17 picks. This year, on pace to throw 19 picks, just 17 touchdowns. So, is it going to get fixed, man? Like, Kevin, you're running the uh, Los Angeles Rams offense. What's the damn problem at this point? Because with Sean McVay, I think we, I don't think we're saying that he's exactly been figured out. But at the same time, I don't really know what else to think at this point. Is there any hope for Matthew Stafford and company moving forward now that they're also dealing with a banged up version of Cooper Cup? No, I don't think, that, unfortunately, I don't think there really is. I mean, I think it's the protection probably is like the thing that has really derailed the entire offense. I mean, if you look at Stafford, like let's go over his a dot for the last several weeks here. Average depth of target, 5.7, 7.4, yay, 4.7, 4.7. Like where's the upside? And when you're running that type of offense, they just cannot get enough protection for him to get the ball down the field. They don't have anyone to really stretch the field. They're going to hope Van Jefferson is going to be able to do that a little bit more. And then you just have uh, Allen Robinson just functioning to clog things up and maybe take away targets that could have gone to Cooper Cup Anyway, I mean, just the efficiency numbers are so far down, even when they are being successful. You know, 10.7 yards per reception for Cup this year versus 13.3 last year. And it's not like that 13.3 number is off of the charts, but 10.7 for a wide receiver is just really, really low. There's just not there's just not upside in this offense. Even when things are going right, they're just not even putting themselves in a position to have upside. 
right now Cup is the only guy you can feel any level of confidence starting. Even Tyler Higby, man, I was trying to caution people going to last week. I know he dropped an easy crosser that honestly could have gone for 70. They had that play set up perfectly, just couldn't haul it in. But with Higby, and you look at it, he's had this first half stretch of this year and the back half stretch of the 2020 year I talked about. I don't think it's a coincidence that Tyler Higby's two best stretches of his career, the most productive stretches, have coincided with the worst versions of this Rams offense. So yeah, it's nice and fantasy. We'll take those target hauls points but i really don't see them continuing to go back the well with tyler higby he's not going to hit the bench and he'll probably still be a low-end tight end one but expecting him to be this guy that deserves to be you know ranked closer to dallas goddard than someone like robert tunyon that's where i drew the line there so again this week in tampa bay buccaneers favored by three just a 42 and a half point game total Last thing to talk about is the potential for Kyron Williams to come back. He has had his practice window open, not positive if he's going to return and make his debut this week off the foot injury, but at this point, I'll take anyone taking over this backfield. Last week, Daryl Henderson was dealing with the illness, but he still played 43% of the snaps, four carries, two targets. Ronnie Rivers, 38% uh, snaps, eight carries, and four targets. Malcolm Brown, of course, staying a little bit involved as well, particularly near the goal line. So this is shaping up to be a dreaded, not one, not two, not three, but four back committee in week nine. You cannot start any of these guys with any level of confidence. I guess at this point, Kyron Williams is worth a low priority add Nathan Yonke and I talked about it on the waiver wire process and on the waiver wire episode we do every Tuesday and I'm not overly confident in Kyron Williams having this three down role that's kind of one of his knocks coming I mean, come on the guy was a day three pick out of Notre Dame for a reason this guy isn't necessarily set up to be the next Kenneth Walker or Damian Pierce out there by any stretch that said this offense has been historically a group willing to lean on one single back when they have found that one single back into Nathan Yonke's point Kyron Williams is a lottery ticket, and there's not many lottery tickets out there on the waiver wire. Do you have any hope for any of these guys, Kevin, or are we all just holding dead lottery tickets? Yeah, that sounds like a dead lottery ticket to me. I mean, anything's possible. Like, they can't run the ball. And if you say, you know what's going to fix, like, an inability to run block and have an effective offense, we're going to bring in Kyron Williams. Who, Let's remember, he was seen as being, like, potentially the third or fourth running back taken in this draft. And then he went to the combine, 5'9", 194 pounds and ran a four six five forty just just detonated his draft stock was completely obliterated after that so like is he going to come out there and, and show explosiveness maybe that number is not you know commensurate with how good of an athlete he really is sort of thing but doesn't not great but not great bob on that one too for his ability to 32 inch vert uh you know it's just not good not good athlete Last place, three and five Cardinals, but actually some signs of optimism over these past two weeks. DeAndre Hopkins has returned from suspension. I told you about Hopkins last week. Looking Potential, potential wide receiver one overall, man. This guy is just killing. Incredible. 27 targets so far. He's caught 22 of them for 262 yards and a touchdown. And, you know, he has actually, they haven't been throwing deep because they don't need to throw deep. They have Robbie Anderson run some wind sprints uh, for that out there. But with Hopkins, man, he's still creating tons of separation on the outside. I mean, I know he had the one-handed touchdown over Harrison Smith when things were a little tighter, but the dude, the dude looks as good as ever. Like, honestly, even better than he did last year. And it is worth uh, remembering, as Dwayne McFarland pointed out on our Sunday Night Review pod, that Hopkins was 
was even dealing with, I believe, a knee injury even before he actually suffered the hammy that took him out completely during last season. Could have been a shoulder either way. Not wasn't at 100% last season. So now, weeks one through six, Cardinals average just 19 points per game. They ripped off 42 with some help of pick sixes and 26 points over their last eight quarters of action. So I said this from the beginning, man. One of the crazy stats I found in the first month and a half and updated now, this offense is 27th in EPA per play in the first half compared to third in the second half. So it's not that they've been this mediocre or bad offense. They've really gone back and forth between looking really good and really bad. I'm starting to get optimistic, Kevin, with a healthy Hawkins, with a healthy Rondale Moore, that this could be a really good offense on the second half stretch of the season. Yeah, I think it could be like a good offense. I think okay. I'm becoming more confident <laughs> in that. What, what really good means, maybe it's like, you know, splitting hairs here. But uh, yeah, I mean, Hopkins has just hit the absolute perfection, basically. He's, ru- he's running all the routes. He's getting targeted. He was targeted 50% of the time, 50% of targets in his first game, 32 in the next game. Both of his games, he's had over half of the team's air yards in these games. It's volume and it's the type of volume that's going to get you high-end production numbers, whether it be PPR or not, even for what he's doing here. So, yeah, he's hitting the absolute perfection here. I don't know, maybe if Marquise Brown eventually comes back, that can cut into it a bit because he was being such a target hog there. But we're, we're, we're riding high here if you have um, Hopkins. And I guess what you're hoping for for Kyler Murray is he continues to maybe run a little bit more. He had a design rush attempt percentage was much, much higher the last couple of games uh, before just this last week. So we want to pump that up maybe a little bit going forward and hope for that sort of production for him. And you're just hoping, you know, you're going to get maybe top five-ish sort of quarterback performances out of him going forward. He is QB six so far this year, but it's been a disappointment, I think, for anyone who drafted him, hoping that he would be competing with the others for having that all-around type of offense. I will say, like, he does a good – I mean, obviously, he doesn't want to take a lot of hits. You don't never want your quarterback to take a lot of hits regardless of who they are. He does a really good job of avoiding contact, though, just diving, sliding. Like, he's never getting hit clean even on those designed rush attempts. So, yeah, I know you don't want to go risk him. And if you lose Kyler Murray and you got to start going to uh, Colt McCoy, if he's even healthy enough, I know he was on IR for a bit as well. I get that's worst case scenario, but, again, just credit to Kyler for, you know, looking after number one. Yeah, Rondale Moore. Seven catches, six catches. Had the one catch dud right as long, right as soon as everyone started trusting the guy. Comes back na- uh, last week with seven catches and starting to show some of that explosion after the catch too. Starting Kevin to come to fruition that Rondale was starting to look like the guy at the draft in the second round. Are you buying it? I mean, he's out there plenty. If you just look at the route rates last week, it was DeAndre Hopkins, 100% routes, Rondale, 98%. And then they have A.J. Green, Robbie Anderson, and Greg Dorch kind of rotating with the rest. So I cautiously have Rondale as my wide receiver 26 this week. He's facing a Seahawks defense. We've seen struggle against him and specifically slot receivers uh, really throughout you know the last half decade. Uh, just it's a weakness of their defense. Rondale Moore, are we in here or is it just going to be Hopkins and maybe Rondale every now and then? I mean, it's going to be Rondale every every now and then, but then that might be startable, basically, yeah. until Marquise Brown comes back. So I think that's what you're looking at, is they, they just don't have anyone else who's really stepping forward. I guess there could be certain games where Zach Ertz, if he gets that target number above 20% in certain games, that's really going to hurt someone like Rondale Moore, who was being used down the field somewhat, but then last game was back down to a 1.4 yard a dot. So those are probably going to be playing against each other with Hopkins just locked into that high target amount. So it might be hit or miss with him, 
but enough of a hit potential that you're going to want to play them unless you're really stacked at wide receiver, especially leagues where you're starting three wide receivers and then have a flex or someone else you can throw in there. I am more optimistic that he's going to be pushing that five to seven reception number because that has been when he's been straight up there in the slot in week seven when he only caught the one pass. They were using him more out wide when they weren't ready to have Robbie or AJ Green really have that big time role. So Great spot for him. And again, I do think we could be seeing, especially in full PPR, uh, someone carving out some weekly wide receiver three goodness. So yeah, Zach Ertz, only nine combined targets over the last two weeks. I mean, he had at least 10 targets in the first uh, four of the first six games of the year. Could certainly get back onto that. Looking pretty good. You broke a tackle last week. You're 2022. We did? I didn't even check. I I guess I'm not following. Did Zach It's dead. That damn catch. It stopped. Come on. I thought that Let's was too bad dude. after all this time. Finally got something. Yeah. Dude's one true calling in life, and he's just letting these uh, precious few years of Ertz's career slip through the cracks. So if you're listening, Zach Ertz, yeah, best Twitter account out there, please get it going again. Don't worry about missing a few. We'll just we'll get back on the horse. With that, Kevin, we're going to wrap up the week nine edition of previewing every single AFC NFC team. Always a great day to be great. Let the people know what you got going on over at PFF.com and any other walk of life. Yeah, uh, QB ranking, showdown stuff, uh, unexpected points. I talked to former PFFer Eric Eager about the trade deadline going over. Got some macro issues about how teams should value it with the new information they have versus paying up for guys midseason. So I thought it was a great discussion there on all the different trades that have gone on this week. And, of course, I'm going to have the review of Thursday Night Football on uh, Friday morning, also on unexpected points. So check that out. Did Eric have a comment on Restore the Roar? He basically made himself president of the movement. Yeah, well, we didn't get into that. Maybe I'll have him on later in the year for kind of like our pre- predictions. Where, where did we go wrong or right? I did have some bold predictions with um, Josh Hermsmeyer that we, we, we maybe we want to turn to. I had some that are pretty good. Like I had Rodgers and Brady not being top five okay. uh, efficiency quarterbacks. Um, I had one that was really bad, though, which was like the AFC East. We wouldn't know who the best quarterback is in the AFC East. I think we know who the best quarterback is in the AFC East. Although Tua, Tua non, maybe Tua non, I can get I can get to support me on that. I wasn't expecting him. I was expecting Mac Jones to actually play pretty well this year. So that was a bust. But um, yeah, maybe if I can get Eric, I can be like, okay, <laughs> what, what's going on here? And he'll he'll have some nonsense about how they got unlucky or variants or some or some some. So he'll try to trick us with his doctor Eric Eager math talk. We're not gonna let him off the hook no. was uh was the Hermsmeyer podcast the one where josh uh, wanted to abolish the salary cap because that's one of my favorite takes out there no that was the before that that was our blasphemous blasphemous ideas yeah so he had abolished the salary cap that would probably got the most pickup of anyone that we had our ideas or how we're going to change how we're going to change football forever and have the football guys uh you know running in fear from from the, from these ideas so yeah i'm trying to get Hersh- hermsmeyer on again but he's like oh i'm busy tuesdays are hard for me i'm like you don't even write anything Come on, <laughs> you're just drinking wine sipping wine and doing whatever the hell he does out there all day long let's get and, and like you're clipping off 17 crypto dunk articles a, a day why don't you just get that out of your system and make some time for some to come up with some truly great podcasting Josh made his badass Philo Ariars model, which you can always find exclusively at pff.com. Made that. And he's like, all right, I got it. Now back to the wine and shitting on yeah, the Yeah, yeah. Now he's like sommelier or something like that is all he does all day long. It, it is funny. I've yelled about the salary cap thing too. And um, there was, you know, some 
off season night and i decided to start tweeting past midnight never a good idea but i remember like just freaking out about like how come just great running backs can't be paid whatever a team wants to pay them and uh, let teams pay if you want to pay players however much you want to pay them who the hell cares like who is this actually not benefiting and then pff brad you know our salary cap expert gave me like a pretty nuanced uh thing talking about how if there really was no salary cap we probably just see quarterbacks make really more money than ever and everyone else still kind of fetching for pennies so i'm going to ignore a lot of that because it doesn't back up my priors and my initial yeah. thought on the thing but very interesting subject and it was good to at least get uh you know one smart guy and josh at least sharing that idea so plenty of time to uh, go through where we were right where we were wrong as the season gets going but for now trying to win week nine. So for Josh, I'm Ian. Thanks so much for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Until next time, take care, everybody.